Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Come on, are you excited? Are you excited about the person you're sitting next to? Man, you're in an awesome place tonight. We believe if you came in here uh, a little bit dejected, if you came in here with a little bit of a broken heart, maybe you kind of just dragged your way into church tonight, man, we, uh, we believe that Jesus isn't just the Lord, but he's the Savior. He's the God who saves us, and he gives us hope and healing. And man, I get passionate about Jesus because I know what it was like to live without him, and I know what it's like when he comes into your life and changes everything. And so, uh, I mean, I'm so excited uh, to preach the word tonight. Listen, I've, if I've never met you before. Uh, my name is Ben Schneider. I'm the worship pastor here at the Harbor, and I'm standing in for the incredible, amazing um, Scott Jankowski, our lead pastor, who um, is off this weekend. And uh, he will be back this upcoming weekend, and he has a word from God. So if you bring a neighbor, bring a friend, it's going to be incredible. But for this week, you're stuck with me. Uh, just uh, for one more night. So, um, man, I'm really excited. I've simply entitled my talk uh, tonight, Wrestling with God. Can you turn to somebody and just say, you want to wrestle? <laughs> yeah, we're getting weird tonight, man. Now, last, I, Sunday, I asked people to turn to your neighbor and put them in a headlock, and people did it, so that's why I didn't ask. Y'all are crazy, but um, wrestling with God. But before we dive in, um, can you guys just bow your heads with me, and let's just pray together. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for who you are, God. I thank you, um, Lord, that you're so involved in our lives, God. I thank you that you care. I thank you that you care about the big things. I thank you that you care about the little things, God. I thank you that you're not just the God uh, who's like a genie who gives us what we want. You're the God who comes and changes us and gives us what we need every single time, Lord. So we just ask in the next couple minutes, Holy Spirit, that I'd move out of the way and we would get what we need from you. Um, Because as much as we want to meet with you, God, we know that you're the God who came to us. You're the God who wants to meet with us way more. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. Wrestling with God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, you know what? I know what it's like to sing to God like we just did, and it's awesome, and you get all like the chills, and it's just incredible. Or maybe you're like, man, I know what it's like to pray to God and and speak to God. Um, um, But you know what? Wrestling with God seems a little bit strange. That seems maybe a little bit awkward. That's not something that, that I, I really get involved in. I come to church, and I'll put on my smile, and I'll be like, well, I know this is the right thing to do. But what I wanted to share with you and what I felt like God put in my heart to, to speak to someone tonight is that you have permission to wrestle with God. You have permission to be honest with God. You know, um, one of my favorite passages, it talks about true worshipers, and Jesus is talking to this woman, and she's asking him, hey, Jesus, what does the best Christian look like? Like the best perfect Christian, the, the worshiper, like what does a worshiper really look like? And what she was really asking is, hey, is it the kind of church that I go to? Is it the sort of thing that I wear? Like what does it look like? And Jesus looks at her, I love this, he says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. What I love about that passage is he didn't just say in spirit. See, in spirit, that's that supernatural exchange. That's something that only God can do, and you connect with him. And, and man, just in your heart, and it floods over, and you start worshiping, and you have a revelation of who he is. But truth just means honesty. Truth just means being real with God. So Jesus was saying 50% of the equation of a true worshiper is simply being real with God. You can be real with God. 
You can be honest with God. I mean, I love the Bible because I think sometimes we dress up these biblical heroes as like they could do no wrong. And, and, and you know, Peter walked on the water and David slayed the giant. But, but, man, these people in the Bible, every single one of them wrestled with God. Every single one of them got super real with God. I love King David. It says in um, Psalm 13, see, David was a mighty, powerful king, but he was also like the most emo leader of, of Israel of all time. He was like the, uh, the Hawthorne Heights of, of kings. Does anybody know this? Am I, am I aging myself right now? Okay, he was the Blink-182 of, of kings back in Israel where he would, he would start having issues with God. He'd start having disappointments with God. He'd start having problems with God because he was called, but he was also still on a journey. And, and, and what I love about David, he was so emo that he was like, I can't do this anymore, man. And he would just start writing in his little journal. And it's a beautiful thing. And this is why I love the Psalms, because David, we get a picture into somebody's personal diary. I mean, I'm so glad that the Bible is closed and that no one's going to get my prayer journal because this was probably so embarrassing for David if he could see it now. But in Psalm 13... David writes this. This is what he says. King David, incredible, powerful king. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? God, how long are you going to forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long should my enemy be exalted above me? You know what he's really praying? If we put this into modern day language. God, where are you? Why does it look like you're blessing everybody else, but you're not blessing me? Why does it look like I look on Instagram and Facebook and everybody is, is just having a vacation? Everybody's in Fiji for some reason. Everybody is just tan and beautiful. But God, what, how, when, what about me? God, I'm still showing up my 9 to 5 and I'm, I'm still coming home and watching The Office. Like, what about me? Like, I wonder what, we, what could happen if we could be transparent with God for real. You know why David was so transparent with God? It's because God was truly his best friend. How many of us, does anybody here have a, that's a weird question. Everyone has a best friend, right? If you don't, I'm sorry. You can find one at the harbor. Serve. But, but, you know, like I have some really, really close friends, and Pastor Scott's one of those awesome friends that I can go to, and he literally knows everything about me. There's times I've gone to him, and and I'll just get real, and I'll be honest, and I'll say everything that's in my heart. But I want to tell you something. If I approach Pastor Scott, and I was like, dearest Scott, thou art beautiful, bald but beautiful. This isn't getting taped, so we can say anything we want. Um, but, but, but if I started approaching him that way and saying, Scott, and, and do, do, do thou see my problems and, and, and saying all these things, he would slap me in the head and say, hey, Ben, why are you being so weird, dude? So why is it that we treat God differently? See, there's nobody kinder than God. There's no one more compassionate than God. There's only one who can give you unconditional love. There's only one who has the ability, and unconditional literally means no conditions. If you're here tonight and you're like, man, maybe I disqualified myself. Yeah, that's the gospel. That's why Jesus came, because he did what you could never do. If you're not feeling good enough, you qualify. If you have air in your lungs, you qualify. And God's not looking for the right answer, and he's not looking for your fixed life. He's looking for someone who says, I need help. Jesus, I need help. David was so good at doing that. He was so good about being honest 
And what I love about the Psalms is he would always start, and not, not every single time, but in many of these Psalms, he would start with these whiny, complaining, baby writing. Like, like I could even imagine what it looked like. It was probably just chicken scratch, and he's just real emotional, crying on his papyrus, so it's getting all like a painting. And, and then on verse, but what I love about the Psalms is something happens. He starts being honest with God. That's called worship. He starts to worship, and as he's worshiping, something starts to change. Verse 5 says this. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, what's so awesome about that is nowhere in that psalm did God stop and cut in and say, okay, okay, I'm so sorry. Let me give you what you want. Nowhere in that psalm did God open the heavens and say, David, my son, now I will give you all the answers to your future. I think sometimes that's what we want from God. But see, what happens and why David changed is because honesty attracts the presence of God. And when you're near God, you start getting God's thoughts. And God's thoughts are, the Bible says, higher than your thoughts. And his ways are higher than your ways. And you start seeing an aerial view of a father who loves you more than you could ever love you. So David starts saying, God, uh, you know what? You are faithful. He starts saying, I have trusted in your steadfast love. He ends with, I'm going to start singing. God will take your brokenness and turn it into singing before your breakthrough even comes. There's something powerful about worshiping before the breakthrough. Turn to someone and say, you can be honest. You can be honest. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of that, guys. I lived in the South for a while. I'm a a preach-back preacher. We can have fun in church. It's okay. No headlocks, but we, we, we're going to toe the line. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, then, you can be honest with God. Man, there's an intimacy that comes from wrestling with God. There's an intimacy with God that comes from grabbing a hold of God and wrestling with him. You know, um, I, uh, I'm a... I'm a fan of, like, mixed martial arts and boxing. Some people, I think, last Sunday were like, dude, you box? No, I don't box. I watch it. It's very fun to watch. And so, because immediately I said that last Sunday, and all the guys just sized me up, like, right on the stage. So I'm going to throw that out there. Um, But anyway, um, so I'm a a fan of, I've always been a fan of boxing, and and my dad was, like, a a wrestling coach, so we've always been fans of, like, combat sports and things like that. And um, what's always been interesting to me about boxing or mixed martial arts is that most of the time, these two fighters will come into this promotion and come ready to fight, and there's, like, this crazy beef. Like, these are grown men, and usually it's really not a big deal, but they're like, yo, he said this about my mama. And this guy would be like, you don't talk about my mama. And it gets crazy and wild and, like, all this heated tension. But something really interesting happens because then the fight happens. And they literally throw every single punch, and they leave everything out on the canvas. And what's always so interesting to me is at the end of the fight, those two gentlemen embrace, and there's like a bond between them because they left everything in the ring. They left everything out there. See, there was an intimacy formed when they left everything out there. I wonder what would happen in your life if your prayer room, If your car, wherever you talk to God, you just started leaving everything out there. God's a big God. He already knows what's going on in your heart. 
He already knows the bad words in your heart. He already knows the anger. He already knows the frustration. He already knows the disappointment, and he still loves you. And he says, hey, come here. Let's talk about it. The Bible says his grace is sufficient because his power is made perfect, not in our strength, not in our perfect church attendance, in our weakness. It's our brokenness that attracts Jesus. See, the safest place you can be is wrestling with God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, dude, I'm not used to church. I'm not even, I'm kind of new to this God thing. I'm not even sure about all this. Here's the awesome thing. We all wrestle with God in different ways. Maybe you're wrestling with the existence of God. Maybe you're wrestling with things that he has done or maybe hasn't done in your life and and you're frustrated with that. I want to encourage you, the safest place you could be, God shows up on the scene and he says, hey, let's talk about it. The safest place you can be is wrestling with God. You know, when um, I, I grew up, and I, I mentioned this, but my dad um, was a wrestling coach. And, um, and as a, like, a four-foot um, meatball of a kid, that didn't really pan out well for me. Um, but but I'm, I'll never forget the day that he came home. And see, my dad was, uh, he, like, wrestling in high school, and he was trying to get all the, the three boys into it. But it was so fun because he would always come home from work. And uh, my dad was so good about just, like, taking some time and spending some time with those kids. And so, man, the three boys, um, how many people have brothers in this place? You know it gets a little bit heated. It gets a little bit crazy. Like we would, my dad would come home and we would just wrestle. And we all looked forward to that because, because here's the thing. My dad, he was much stronger than us. He could have destroyed us in a second. But we knew that he loved us and that he was just doing this to teach us and to train us and to have fun. So we were never afraid to wrestle my dad because we knew what his intention was. We were never afraid. We never thought for a moment that my dad came in and we're like, oh, man, he's going to knock me right out right now. Dad, not tonight, please. Like, it was never like that, but that. But here's why. Because we knew the intention of my father's heart. Now, I also will never forget my first real wrestling match. Now, I went from wrestling with my dad, having fun, and I hear, I thought, Man, everyone just, like, wrestling is fun. Like, you know, it's lighthearted. You guys kind of get in the mat and you roll around. And, and my dad uh, took us to our very first um, wrestling meet, and it was in Riverhead, and it was me and my brothers. And so I come out, and I'm wearing, like, my mesh shorts and, like, my Ninja Turtle, like, shirt and, like, my big, fat, like, uh, sh- uh, you know those Reeboks that pump up? Like, so I was ready to go, man. I was ready to have some fun. So I, I, I came out to the mat, and I'm all excited. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I wonder who I'm going to wrestle. And there, I'll never forget this, there, there, a kid just walked forward who was way too jacked to be a kid. No kid should have muscles like this. And he looked so mad. Like, he looked like I just, like, broke, like, stole his puppy or something. Like, he was furious. And, and he was looking at me, and he had this crazy red fro, and he had a singlet on. I had never seen a singlet before. That's upsetting when you see a singlet for the first time. And I'm looking around, I'm like, Dad, this is a ballerina right here, a jacked ballerina trying to fight me. And, and then the craziest thing is, from behind him stepped his identical twin. This was a nightmare. I'm, I'm, this is therapy for me right now. I'm just letting it all out. But, but I was so, it was so crazy, and I'll, I'll never forget. We actually have the video of this, but I couldn't find it because my mom, she, just, she wanted to record no matter what. And um, this kid literally smashed me for like, for like three minutes because they were like, oh, don't let the kids pin them. Let them have fun. It was not fun. Like I had the wind knocked out of me. It was horrible. My mom videoed me walking all the way back to the camera just in tears, just howling. Love you, Mom. 
Um, but, but the thing here, the, the crazy thing was, you know, that, see, wrestling with my dad, there was no fear involved because I knew his intention. But I think sometimes we get the intentions of God mixed up. I think if our perception of God is skewed, then our trusting his intentions are always going to be skewed. Sometimes we view God as that psycho-identical twin redhead. If you're here tonight for some reason, I'm sorry, dude. I, that, that could happen. But, but I think sometimes we view God as the God who's the enemy of our future. The God who's the opponent of fun. The God who's just out to crush our dreams and our joy and make us like dirt and say, okay, now you're going to serve me forever. You have to realize something. Life was God's idea. Joy was God's idea. Everything good in life was God's idea that was perverted by the enemy to bring you into a life of continually thirsting and thirsting and death on the inside. See, life only comes from Jesus. You could give it up for Jesus. That's okay. See, sometimes we miss the intention of our God. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And, um, and, and this, uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people who are following Jesus. And, and these Christians were having issues with God, not as Lord or not as like, oh, I worship him on a service. They were having issues with God as Father. They were having a hard time trusting God. There was persecution going on. There was so many problems. I think sometimes we think the early church had it all together. If you're in this place and you're having a hard time trusting God, you're, you're in the right place. The early church was having a hard time, and the writer of Hebrews wrote this. I love this. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. Somebody say our good. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I think sometimes we read that passage and there's always a negative connotation to discipline, like discipline is a consequence, but how many people know that discipline is a consistency to grow so that you could be who God called you to be? What he's saying is a good father doesn't just let you do whatever you want. A good parent isn't going to take their kid to Taco Bell and say, have one of each. Because that kid might want, every, I might be talking about myself right now, but that kid might want everything on the menu. But a good parent is that that loves their kid. They're not going to appease a kid. It's a kid. They're not going to appease what they want. That, that child doesn't know what he wants. How much more you and I in the moment, our emotions can be so strong. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can trust it? That's why God says, hey, when your heart condemns you, you can look to God who's greater than your heart, and he knows everything. We don't have to trust ourselves. We can lean into Jesus. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, it's safe to wrestle with God. It's safe to struggle with God. He's not saying to them, hey, when God tells you something, do not argue, do not say anything, just do it. 
You know what's awesome about the Bible? The Bible says this, that those who are, it doesn't say those who are just obedient will eat the fruit of the land. There's a passage that says those who are willing and obedient. See, God's not just after your obedience. He's after your heart. He's after who you are. This writer of Hebrews is saying God's heart is for your benefit. But I think the problem, if we're all honest, is that when things get difficult, and sometimes when things get hard, see, it's easy for me to serve Jesus faithfully when everything's just firing on all cylinders. It's easy for me to say, man, God is good and he is faithful. Man, that actually doesn't take any faith because I can actually see it. See, God will use the things working against you to grow you into who you're supposed to be. There are things in this season of life that he's trying to create in you the kind of person that can walk in the fruitfulness of the next season, but we're angry at the thing that's kicking against us, and God's saying, hey, that's actually my tool. I'm using that, and I'm not saying God is raining bad things on us or causing bad things, but he will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's good news. You know why that's good news? Because all things means all things. It means every good decision, and it means every bad decision. It means every time you worship and step that, and it means the thing where you're like, man, I shouldn't even be in church right now. All things mean all things. It's okay to wrestle with God. You know, you might be here tonight, and you're like, Ben, this is awesome, and your stories are, are funny or whatever. I think they're funny, right, guys? They're funny, yeah. But... But maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, but is this even in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. Yes, it is in the Bible. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 32. Um, you know, there's so many people in the Bible that we kind of mentioned. We talked about David, who, people who wrestled with God. But there's something, there's a story in the Bible, and I actually love the Bible because I am a visual learner. So, like, when I read something, I, it takes me... I mean, I probably finished two books in my whole life. Like, it takes me forever to finish a book because I have to close my eyes and I have to picture it because I have the attention span of a goldfish. So, so this, when I read the Bible, I like to close and I like to see it happen. There was a guy in the Bible, many people wrestled with the idea of God, many people wrestled with following God, but there was a guy in the Bible who actually wrestled with God, physically wrestled with God. Like, that's the dinner party story that wins them all. Like, this dude physically wrestled with God. And it says in Genesis chapter 32, there's this man named Jacob. And the Bible says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, the interesting thing about this story, at the end of the chapter, and we'll see this later on, the end of the chapter, the Bible says that that man was actually Jesus. That man was God. And it says that Jacob was left alone, and God approached him, and they wrestled until the breaking of the day. That's kind of a no-context, awkward statement. That's like an uncomfortable thing to watch. Have you ever watched two grown men wrestle? How many guys are, like, you've ever, like, played basketball, and then two guys start pushing each other, and you're like, yo, guys, chill out, and then they, like, start wrestling, and it's kind of fun, and then they take it way too seriously, and it's just uncomfortable. It's just awkward. You're like, guys, don't do this anymore. This is what was, this was Jacob's, this was Jacob's experiencing with, experience with God. It didn't look right. It was messy. Jacob was wrestling with God out in the open. He was physically grabbing a hold of God. And, and, and see, I think the awesome significance of that story is for a second, God is giving us an image of how he wants to engage with us. And it might be messy. 
And it might hurt and it might be uncomfortable. But I think here in the church, man, we can get so judgmental when we look at what other people are wrestling with. But see, God wasn't afraid of Jacob's mess. He engaged Jacob in his mess. I think sometimes even on, whether it's Facebook or different areas, we can look at him and that person's wrestling with that. That person's wrestling with that. And God's like, I have a wrestling match for you right here. And he's calling us to engage. See, Jacob didn't just show up and wrestle God. I think sometimes we judge people by what they're wrestling with without asking about the context. See, Jacob didn't just show up and start wrestling God. People don't just show up and get divorced. People don't just show up and fall into addiction. People, how many people know as someone who's been there before, you don't just show up into this thing. There's a context here. Jacob wasn't always this mighty man of God. The Bible actually tells us that Jacob's name, when he was born, his name meant deceiver. Jacob was also a twin. He was the second born. And why that's significant is, is, is when, when Ava, his father Isaac, who was, Isaac was one of the richest guys in the land. Isaac was like the LeBron James of like, of like leaders back then. Like he was the guy everybody knew. And, and, and his son, well, he had two sons. He had Esau and he had Jacob. But, but this is Jacob's background. And I want you to hear this for a minute. Esau was the chosen one. He was the firstborn. Esau was supposed to get two things, the birthright and the blessing. The Bible says that on top of that, Esau was a man's man. It says that he was good at hunting. He was, he was stronger than everybody. The Bible literally talks about how hairy he was. He was the Dan Fruhoff of, of the Bible. And he was that guy. He was just the man's man. That was Esau. And see, Jacob was a little bit different. Jacob was always overlooked. Jacob was always in the back seat. Jacob was always looked over. The Bible says that while Esau went off and would hunt, Jacob just liked to stay, and, and, and he liked to cook. That was Jacob's thing. Someone just laughed at that. Cooking's awesome, dude. But he just was like, I just want to stay in the kitchen, okay? So, so Jacob, Jacob liked to cook, but, but here's the thing. Jacob, there, Jacob was a sneaky guy. Jacob wasn't always this man of God who would face God and wrestle with him. No, Jacob was a deceiver. The Bible says that Esau comes home one day from hunting, and he's so hungry. And Jacob looks at him, and he, and he cooks up like this incredible, like, soup, like the best soup you could think it had to be. And he says, Esau, you hungry? And he said, yeah, I'm starving. Let me have some. And Jacob just slides it away, and he says, well, why don't you just give me your birthright? And Esau was like, dude, that's crazy. I'm not going to give you all of my possessions for this soup. And, but, the, but this soup was actually really good because the more Jacob talked, the more Esau was like, it's just a birthright. It's just like millions of dollars. It's really no big deal. And, and he, as they keep talking, he says, fine, give me the soup. You can have my birthright. And he eats it, and Jacob steals his birthright. Does anyone have like a sneaky little sibling that sometimes you're just like, dude, that's it? This was Jacob. He wasn't the hero. Beyond that, he then, the, there was a blessing that, that, that Isaac gave his sons. And, and the Bible says that Jacob went to his father behind Esau's back. And it says that he literally, this is in the Bible. This is crazy. He literally puts animal skin on his arms. And he goes to his father. And he talks in a deep voice. And he says, hey, I'm Esau. Bless me. And Isaac is like, you don't sound like Esau, but you feel like Esau. Which is crazy about how hairy Esau was. That that's actually what he felt like. But he says, hey, let me, let me, 
I'll find, I'll bless you. And he blesses him. And the Bible says that Esau shows up. And this is the firstborn son. These are the things he was promised. And he shows up to Isaac. And he says, okay, Father, I don't have the birthright, but can I have the blessing? And Isaac says, your brother just stole your blessing. This is Jacob. And it says in Genesis 27, 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You think you have problems. Jacob, this is how Jacob's story starts. He's running from who he is. He's running from his past. He's running from his brokenness. And I'm not going to go into the entire story, but he basically, he has a moment with God as he's running. And Jacob, the deceiver and the liar. Man, Jacob, who was like, God, if God ever talked to me, I'm sure he would just say, I'm a disappointment. I'm a screw up. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. And, and God meets with him in a dream. And Jacob doesn't even do anything right or good. But God meets with this castaway. And he says, Jacob, I love you. I love you, Jacob. I've called you. I've got a purpose for you. Man, what I love about this story is, man, I'm so grateful that God doesn't wait for us to be good people before he encounters us. I'm so grateful that God doesn't wait for us to have it all cleaned up before he runs into the picture and he calls Jacob and it's beautiful and Jacob has this beautiful moment with God and he says, I'm not going back there anymore. God, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm not going to go back there. I'm going to be who you called me to be. And the Bible goes on to say that he becomes a wealthy man himself. He gets married. He has all these kids. Man, he's going to church every Sunday. He's doing the right things. He's serving. He's going to the Bible studies and God's blessing him in every single way. And then finally God wakes him up one night and he says, Jacob, I've got the next season ready for you. And Jacob is like, yes, God, tell me, tell me what it is. I'll do whatever. And God says, I want you to go home. And I can imagine the tension built up in Jacob. Because this whole time he was trying to be righteous from the outside, but God was calling him to a place where he was broken on the inside. He was trying to make it right on the outside, but God was saying, hey, I actually work from the inside out. He was calling Jacob into an impossible situation. Think about the tension on the inside. Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? He says, Jacob, before you move forward, I want there to be peace with your brother. I want there to be peace with your father. I remember when um, I remember when I graduated Bible college. Um, there was a time we had a young adult um, service uh, at my parents' house called House Church, and it was this awesome, awesome ministry, and it was is really cool. God was using it in awesome ways, and I really felt like it was firing on all cylinders. And I was like, God, this is awesome. I'm I'm, I'm running with you. I'm I'm giving you everything. And um and then one day in my prayer closet, the Lord just spoke to me and said, Hey. There, there's, this, and there's this person that, that hurts you in, in the past, and I want you to call them, and I want you to ask them to forgive you for the bitterness that you've held towards them. And I just said, no, devil, I'm talking to God right now. And then once again, God was like, no, man, it's me. <laughs> it's God. And there's a person who hurts you back there. And before you move forward, and see, I don't, I don't need you. 
I love you. I don't need you. I, see, Jesus is the Savior. He's like, I want to use you. But what's more important than you being used by me is you being loved by me. And you can't fully accept my love until you let go of this thing you're holding on to. See, even in that, it was painful. But God was saying, I'm doing this because I love you. What kind of doctor, if you walked in with a gaping wound, just a bloody, bloody leg, right? Crazy bloody leg. Weird picture, but that's what we're going with right now. What kind of doctor would, would you like the doctor if he was like, you know what? It's, it's fine. Just put a Band-Aid on it. You'd be like, no, dude, that, that's not going to work. I'm not a doctor, but I know that that's not going to work. Man, that's how God is. Sometimes we come to him and it's painful and it's hurting and we think we can ignore it. And God says, I want to treat that so you can walk right. I want to treat that so you can be who God called you to be. There's another side to this thing, and I'll never forget. I fought with God forever, and finally I said, Lord, okay. And I called this person, and I was like, well, if it goes to his voicemail, God, then that was the devil, and it wasn't you, God. You know how you make deals with God, right? And this person picks up, and I just said, hey, 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 I need to tell you this. You know, this really hurt me, and... And, and I, I don't even know if you think it hurt me or, or all these things, but I just need to tell you that I've been bitter towards you, and I've been harboring that against you, and I, I needed to say I'm sorry. And you know what? On the other side of that phone, that, that person said some, some, some things to me, but the, the reality was I always thought that, that, that hearing that person say certain things would heal my heart, but it wasn't about what he was even saying because it was about my obedience to the Holy Spirit. And the moment that I let that go, man, something broke in my heart and I was free on the inside. Jacob's in this place and in closing. The Bible says he's, God calls him home. Jacob starts making deals with God. He tells his servants, he says, hey, listen, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take our donkeys, our camels, all of our goods. We're going to bribe Esau. So send them all ahead and send messengers and saying, hey, remember your really cool, smart, funny brother who loved you and never did anything wrong? Uh, he's coming home, and he has all these gifts for you. And the Bible says that the messengers return. I love this response. And the messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you with 400 men. And the Bible says Jacob was greatly distressed and afraid. It backfired. Jacob tried to get involved, and it backfired. Has anybody ever tried to just do kind of what God said, and it really didn't work out the way you thought? But what I love about Jacob is the Jacob of old would have run from a fight. But the Bible says, and I could see it in Jacob. I could see the tension. I could see, man, he thought he was going to die. This is real to him. I could see it on the inside, him thinking, well, you know what? I have a good life. Maybe I'll just go my own way. And I could see that tension on the inside. But he, this is the first time, instead of freaking out and running away, Jacob takes a moment, and the Bible says in verse 9, he says, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love and of all the faithfulness you've shown your servant. He goes on to say all these things, and he ends with, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea. He starts reminding God of his promises before it's ever resolved. For the first time when Jacob had the choice to run, he takes a step toward God. See, there's nothing wrong with wrestling with God. We get in trouble when we tap out of the match. Sometimes we say, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. And if we look at our lives, we're not really struggling. We're just submitting to it. But Jacob had, he could have taken the easy way, but he says, he says, God, I'm taking a step towards you. 
And the Bible says, it goes on, it doesn't say that God comes and does a miracle. It doesn't say any of these things happen. Jacob still doesn't know. His brother's coming closer, and the Bible says this in verse 21. So the present passed ahead of him. He himself stayed the night in the camp. And the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children. That's way too many children for somebody to have. And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. You ever been felt like you were left alone by God? With God? You know, I think that we live in a culture now where it's so easy to not be alone. There's this false community on social media where you can go home and you can lay in bed and you can message people and you can just you can just be connected to people who don't even know you. It's it's this fault. We live in a world where, man, if you want something to eat, you could throw it in a microwave. You can go to McDonald's. You can, like, everything is so fast and so quick and very easily we cannot be alone. We can, instead of the moments where the Holy Spirit might be calling us, it's a little uncomfortable. So we say, you know, it's a lot more comfortable to listen to Michael Scott on The Office right now. Like, we live in a world where We've lost the art of being alone. See, this moment with God only happened when Jacob first allowed himself to be alone. The Bible says he sent everyone across and he stayed by himself. You know, at Christ for the Nations, I remember the Bible college I went to, there was a season of life where I had just gone through just coming out of high school and, and God saved me radically. No, no one's ever heard that story before. God saved me radically in a moment where I got real with God. And I, in that moment, I said, God, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you every single thing. And, and, and I, I was coming out of a relationship. I was coming out of just my own personal dysfunction. And I said, all right, God, let's do this. It's going to be radical. We're going to see mountains moved. I'm telling God all of these things. And, and God spoke to me one night. There was a Tuesday night service. And we would do these Tuesday night services for all the students. And afterwards, all the students would hang out, which I love because I'm like, man, these are future pastors, future leaders. I get to network with these guys. It's going to be incredible. These are the people I need to know. And I'll never forget after a Tuesday night, uh, it finished, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart. And this was new to me because I wasn't used to listening to the Holy Spirit. That's the thing. You want to hear God more clearly? Start just listening to what you think he's saying, and he's going to honor your heart. And so I started listening to the Holy Spirit, and, and I felt the Lord say, I was ready to go to Applebee's with all these people, and I'm excited about, about that because I'm a college student. I love Applebee's. And I'm like, here we go. And God's saying, hey, actually, I just want you to go to a prayer room and spend some time with me. And I remember saying, God, that, that can't be you. You want me to be with people. You want me to be, and people are awesome. People are important. Relationships are awesome. Marriage is awesome and important. But there are times in life that God can only speak to you. God can only consecrate you. Consecration, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's a pulling away so that you could know God in an intimate way. And I started saying, you know what, God, I'm going to give you every single Tuesday night. And in those Tuesday nights, I would go to the prayer room, and nobody was around. And, and I would just get on my face. And I didn't have even the words to say sometimes, but I would just say, Jesus, change me. Have your way in me. God, I don't really know you. I really want to know you. And it wasn't because of how great I am. It was just because I just started saying, Jesus, I want to know you. And something beautiful started happening. I started to know God. 
I started to hear his voice. I started, he started to do a work in my life. I started hearing the affirmation of God that I wanted so desperately from other people. I started hearing, Ben, I love you, and that's enough. I've called you, and that's enough. I have a plan for you, and that's enough. Ben, there's not a weapon in this world that can come against you because I'm your dad, and I'm proud of you, and I'm with you, and this journey isn't going to kill you. This addiction isn't going to kill you. These things are going to put you under because I'm with you. Jacob was left alone. And the last thing is verse 24. The Bible says, when Jacob was left alone, a man came and wrestled with him till the break of day. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> That's so strange to me. When I read that, I was like, what? There's no context. Just a man just come. Like, think about it. If you're just alone and praying, and all of a sudden someone's like, come here. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> That's weird, but, but here's what I love. The, Bi and the Bible tells us that this man is, is God, but what I love about God is God could have approached Jacob with a song. He could have approached Jacob with a beautiful moment. He could have came to Jacob and said, my son, let me hold you. I love you, but he knew what Jacob needed was to wrestle. He knew what Jacob needed. They both, it's one of those things where Jacob knew what was coming and God knew what was coming. And the Bible said they didn't wrestle for five minutes. I can imagine all of Jacob's, see, see, Jacob was called by God, but he was still Jacob. He was still dealing with his past. He was still dealing with these tensions and these fears. And I could imagine that they just, col they collapsed into each other. And Jacob's wrestling him. And the Bible says he wrestles him till the break of day. He's refusing to let go. He's saying, God, I'm, I'm not going to let go. And the Bible says in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has been broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know what Jacob was saying? I can't go a step further. What I love about this picture is God wrestled him, and he took even his own ability off of him. He was trying to take Jacob's ability off of him. He was trying to take, take Jacob's pride off of him. He was trying to show Jacob in the physical that he was incapable of doing what only God could do. Sometimes we get angry when we feel like God's disabling us or, or we feel in a position where we feel weak. But he's saying, I can only be strong if you're weak. I can only be strong if you can acknowledge that you need me. There's a passage in the Bible where the Pharisees, the church people, are looking at Jesus, and he's with these prostitutes, and he's with these sinners, and he's with these broken people, and they say, look at him, hanging out with those people with issues, hanging out with those people with stuff, and he looks at them, and he says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I, uh, the only thing I need is someone who says I need help. So he gets Jacob in this position. Jacob refuses to let go. And he says, let go. And Jacob blurts out, and I could just see it in his face. It just comes out of his heart. He says, I, I can't let go because where else can I go? Jesus, I need you to do what only you can do. And then something powerful happens. The Bible says that he said to him, what is your name? And I can just picture Jacob going back to even as a boy, just, just the hurt and the pain. And he looks at Jesus and he says, it's Jacob. It's deceiver. See, Jacob didn't have a possession problem, a financial problem, a future problem. He had an identity problem. I love how Jesus always gets to the heart of the issue. 
we like to be, we like to make it about all these theological things and Jesus says but what about your heart that's what he's saying to you tonight that's what he's saying to me tonight and he, Jesus says he said to him your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed I love that the whole night of wrestling and I'm closing with this. The whole night of wrestling, the whole night of fighting with God, as soon as Jacob was honest with God, as soon as Jacob said, man, I, I, I don't know who I am. I'm a deceiver. Uh, there's something on the inside that's broken. As soon as Jacob, whatever that your issue is, God's not calling you to fix it. He's calling you to be honest. And as soon as he was honest, as soon as he was honest, Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? Okay, now let me give you 10 steps to change your name. Let me bring you to the court uh, where you can legally change your name. He looks at him, and he takes his name, and he throws it out the window, and he says, I got a new name for you. I got a new name for you. And you know what that name means? Israel it has two meanings. It means he struggles with God, but the second meaning is this, God prevails. The most beautiful thing that I've ever done when it comes to knowing God was just, I remember when I was 18 year, years old, I was in my home, and there was a staircase in our house, and everybody was gone. I, at least I hope everybody was gone, or this would have been really embarrassing. But, but everybody was out of the house, and, and I was so twisted, and I was so broken, and I was so messed up about God, and I just cried out to God, and I said, God, if you're real, I need you to show yourself to me. I need you to be real with me, and I want to tell you that prayer was ugly and messy and not spiritual and not pretty, nothing, nothing that I would want to even pray here tonight, but I just, I just started opening up my mouth, and I just said, God, I'm just going to let you have it for a minute, and I said, God, I'm, I need you, and I don't want to believe this because my mom believes it or my dad believes it or my friends believe this if you are who you say you are you need to show me and you want to know what happened from that point the spirit of God started putting things in motion and I just just like Jacob before I ever saw it I just started stepping toward him I said I'm not going to tap out of this one and you might be here tonight and you might be saying, yeah, Ben, that might work for this person or that person. But what I'm here to tell you is that the God of the universe doesn't require you to be a good Christian person. He just requires you to say, God, I need help. I need help. If you are who you say you are, God, show yourself to me. And then latching on to him and not letting go until he shows himself faithful. In closing tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and you feel like there is a wrestling match that you've skipped out on with God, if you're going to be honest with God, if you're here tonight and you're like, Ben, there's something I've been circling because it's painful, because it hurts, I'm not comfortable with this. If you're here tonight, I just want you, nobody looking around, I just want to pray for you. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do a work in your life. If you're here tonight and that's you, I just want you to raise your hands all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you do it for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to give you another minute. If you're here in the Holy, and, and you're just feeling your heart rattle for some reason, you're like, man, I just want more of God. If that's you, if that's you, thank you. Thank you. 
You can put your hands down. I just want to pray over each and every person. Jesus, I just pray for every single person who just raised their hand. Lord, I just pray right now that, God, you would draw out the thing that's holding us back. God, that you would show yourself as Savior. You're not the God who came for the dressed up. You're not the God who came for the best people. You're the God who came for all people. So, Lord, in this moment, we lean into you, Holy Spirit, and we say as a church, we need you, Jesus. We don't want to do this thing without you, God. We give you everything. God, we engage in every single wrestling match. Lord, we just want you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, as you stand your feet, can you just... Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.